Hello, and welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker. Uh, this is a new podcast where we'll be talking about the Republican Party's screwball quest to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's business and economics correspondent, and I'll be joined every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday by our intrepid political reporter, Jim Newell, who spends most of his time these days sort of loitering around Congress trying to pry answers out of politicians about health care. It's a truly thankless job, but we are very, very grateful for his service. And we're even more grateful that he's managed to join us today from a phone booth on Capitol Hill, which has sort of been consumed with the very, very tragic shooting of Congressman Steve Scalise in Virginia. An awful, awful event today. Jim, thanks for managing to escape all that craziness and come talk policy with me. It's a a bit of a frenzied day, but uh, happy to get back on topic here. So the big story right now about the Obamacare appeal is how it's all sort of happening in secret. There is a group of Senate Republicans writing the legislation. They may be almost done with it for all we know. And they're not making it public. Mitch McConnell is planning to pass it off to the Congressional Budget Office and not tell voters what's actually in it, not release the text. And it seems like so far this is sort of working as a legislative strategist. I feel it is. And Jim, I'm, I'm curious your take. It seems like this might be kind of a canny move from the canniest of Senate leaders we've seen in a while. Yeah. So uh, about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I started feeling like I didn't really have a handle on where the Senate healthcare debate was going. And so that brought up all my insecurities about how I was just a bad reporter and it was all my fault. I didn't know what was going on. But it's not. Everyone feels the same way. No one really knows what's happening. What happens on an average day in the Senate is there's this working group, which is officially 13 members and very famously all men. But they've opened it up to pretty much any member of the conference who wants to go in. So they go into a room They chit chat for a little while, who knows what decisions they're making, and then they come out and they're very tight-lipped. They're very disciplined. You can't just find, as you can in the House, you know, some member who likes to talk more than they should, unfortunately. So it's going along, and then no one really has a feel for where this is, but you can sort of get an indication of how far along in the process they are. And it seems like they're very far. It seems like they have everyone on board with some of the trickier components, even some who were against rolling back the Medicaid expansion now seem to be on board with that. And they're just discussing the timing of it. And just the process throughout this, there have been no hearings. It's not going through the committee process. It's not going through the help or the uh, finance committees. Mitch McConnell has prepared for what's called a rule 14, where you can take a bill straight to the floor without it having to go through committee. And as you're saying, they're going to send whatever draft bill they have. They're just finishing off the language now, but who knows how many more sticking points remain. And when they send it, it'll take about two weeks for CBO to score it. No one knows if they're going to release it to the public while CBO is scoring it. And there was an article about this the other day when when that news was broken from an unnamed senior GOP aide saying why they were not going to release it to the public. And the aide said, we're not stupid. Yeah. That was it was a pretty remarkable moment, right? (laughs) Yeah. And what you know, I don't know who that aide was, but it may very well have been someone in McConnell's office. And it just rung to me as such a McConnell office thing because they, you know, they really do think they're geniuses and they are very savvy legislators. They don't really get rattled by these short term concerns like, oh, we're going to vote on a bill without letting anyone in the public see it. There's there's some sort of arrogance, you know, like, oh, it'd be stupid to do that because then 
it would just impede our progress. And they're probably right, but it's also frustrating. You know, from a purely tactical perspective, it seems like they're correct. People have looked at this. Uh, journalists have been tracking the nightly news coverage. And healthcare has basically dropped off of TV. It's just, it, and if it's not on TV, it's not really in the news as far as the broader public's concerned. Yeah, and it's not, you know, top of the fold in newspapers, anything like that. I've heard from, you know, some staffers on the Hill that the phone lines are not being jammed the way they were uh, ahead of the House bill, that the first time that failed. I don't think people understand the urgency of it. And we don't know specifically, too, how close they are, of course, but I, like we can pick up on cues. Like they really are just going through the final details. Yeah, you're was, sort of reading the vapors or something. <laughs> you're inhaling yeah, the vapors. And they were talking it. about earlier yeah. this week that they might have the language complete, you know, by Monday night. And it looks like that's been set back a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're still aspirationally hoping to have this done by the end of June. Yeah. It'll probably be more like July. They're really just not telling anyone what's going on here. Yeah. And what's what's kind of fascinating about this is that if you remember the Obamacare debates from you know 2009, 2010, the idea that Democrats were somehow crafting this bill in secret and weren't being uh, transparent about it was actually a pretty potent charge. And it was became kind of a rallying cry for conservatives. And the fact that Obamacare was even the news was sort of a sign that it wasn't true. You know, <laughs> what we're learning is right. like, that obviously the bill was being crafted enough in public that it was able to constantly be part of the news cycle. And now the Republicans have realized is if they actually craft it in secret, then the bill will fall off everybody's radar. And that allows them to kind of just cut whatever deals they need to out of the media scrutiny. And that seems to be the only way that they can get some sort of consensus among among yeah. their, themselves. So that brings up a question I, I have for you, Jim, which is how much time do you think the public might actually have to see this bill before it's voted upon? How much of kind of a, a, a quick stealth strike can Mitch McConnell orchestrate here to get this through his chamber? Well, that sort of depends on whether this current situation of hiding the bill totally is tenable, which maybe if you have Mitch McConnell and you have the will to see something that you get a lot of short term criticism for through, then maybe they'll do that. But they could submit the bill, finish writing the bill, submit to CBO, get the score back in a couple of weeks. Then they could put the bill on the calendar. Then it has to go through three days of procedural time for the bill to ripen. And there will be a, a chance to offer amendments, but it's unclear how many of those amendments will be uh, accepted or allowed by the majority leaders. So they could do it if you got a CBO score back and you need a CBO score for the Senate bill, which you didn't need in the House bill because it has to comply with reconciliation rules. You could get that back in the beginning of the week and then possibly vote it out by the end of the week. I'm not sure how long that will work because I think this is the problem with the secrecy. You're not going to get away with it for very long. If you pass the bill, I mean, maybe you keep it secret and that prevents some of your members from being swayed too much by public opinion before they vote. But they're going to have to live with this bill for a very long time. So that's why I wonder if they really are going to go through um, this incredibly secretive process or if that's going to change because they know, well, we're going to have to live with it anyway. So we might as well just take our shots now. There's also the fact that they have to craft a final bill with the House. If the Senate passes something, they have to then iron out the differences with the House bill and then take a final oh, vote. Oh, yeah. And so people will get a chance to see that legislation as well. That gives us some opportunity for another public airing, though it's not clear how secretive that could yeah. be as well. And even if that didn't go anywhere, which, you know, I think if they got to the point where they're at reconciliation, the momentum would be we have to finish this. But even if the Senate just votes on it, it didn't became everything. It's still a vote they would have to live with for a very long time. Yeah. And so I, I think this is a good moment to talk about one of the bits of news that has leaked out of this committee, 
which is one of the few substantive policy decisions that seems to be made, which is that Republicans have decided they're going to kill Medicaid or the Medicaid expansion, but they're going to do it very slowly. And this seems to be the big compromise that they've come up with to get conservatives and moderates on board together. There was this question for a while over whether or not moderate Republicans from states that expanded Medicaid under Obamacare would be willing to undo that. People like Shelley Moore Capito, for instance, in West Virginia, Dean Heller in Nevada. And now what they are saying is we're okay with killing the expansion, but we want to do it over seven years. We want to wind it down. And Mitch McConnell is talking about doing it over three years. And from a policy perspective, it's not a whole bunch of difference. In the end, you're still ending the expansion. And because some states um, will actually automatically terminate it the second any of the funding decreases, it means that in places like Michigan, you're, you're killing the expansion immediately, no matter what. So I'm wondering if what the logic is here politically. Is it just to kind of put this off into the future where they won't be blamed for it? Or do you think that these senators feel like there is a substantive difference here in what's happening? I think they're looking for some way to come around to voting for the bill. And I think they also, if, if a lot of these senators are from expansion states, maybe they're hearing from their governors. Well, a lot of the governors like John Kasich in Ohio or uh, Brian Sandoval in Nevada, they don't want any of this to happen anyway, necessarily. Yeah. But they they do think maybe if we can give them a little more time to prepare for when it expires, that maybe that's you know a helpful way that they can come around to this. You know, we know this detail about the seven-year phase-out, but we don't know the specifics of what that really means. Because as you mentioned, the way the Medicaid expansion works now is that new enrollees, the federal government makes 90% of the payments. It's their matching percentage. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of this phase out, it's not really clear yet. Does that go down to, you know, 80% one year, 70% the next year? Does it do something like that? That's something I've heard members saying. But, you know, who knows what state's if you go down from 90 to 80 or something, what states are still going to want that? Is that enough for them to all end it right away anyway? Or there's just a lot of questions that about what that phase out really means. Yeah. And it's it's hard to predict because, again, it comes down to the behaviors of different state legislatures, different governors. But it, it does seem like a little bit of a fig leaf, which speaks, again, to the kind of the essence of this bill from the legislative process that they're using to craft it to the actual substance, which is just it's designed to kind of pull the wool over people's eyes and you don't get to know it's in it before it's done. And then it's designed to sort of unfurl slowly so you don't even realize what's happening as a result of it. It's sort of meant to uh, create plausible deniability. Yeah. And I was talking to Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, who is one of the most hesitant to get rid of the Medicaid expansion because of what it's done for her state. She was saying, I wish you would stop calling it a phase out. It's a transition. (laughs) Are you serious? That's the line she's going to take on the campaign trail next time. It's like, listen, yeah. I just transitioned you out of your Medicaid yeah. care. I didn't yeah, phase out your care. transition to a world where there is no Medicaid expansion. And I think that's something that that's sort of the, the structure of this bill, because not only are they going to wind down the Medicaid expansion, then they're going to transition to a new system of per capita cap. So that's sort of a fig leaf that's built in there. You know, we're just taking off what was added to Medicaid in recent years. We're moving to a new system. And granted, that new system will be even worse. But I don't know. I think that's just something that they're they're trying to work out. How can we end Medicaid as you know it? You know, how can we kill it as softly as possible? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you have a three-year, five-year, seven-year phase-out, they it's a phase-out. It'll be gone. I, I think they're just looking for some way to get around on this. That wraps things up for this first edition of the Trump Care Tracker. Jim, it was awesome talking to you. Yeah, no, this was fun. Maybe uh, in some of these podcasts, I will be recording from a studio, not a phone booth on Skype. So that's our show for today. Uh, 
hope you enjoyed it. And we'd love to hear from you either way. Love it. Hate it. Give us your feedback. If you'd like to uh, get in touch with us or suggest topics that we should talk about in the future, things that are confusing you about this this whole legislative push, just healthcare topics in general you, you'd like to learn a little bit more about, please write to us at trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Again, trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Uh, this podcast is produced by June Thomas, and we are so thankful that you've been listening. We'll be back with you on Friday. <laughs>